0: Uh, Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When Jesus was born in the village of Bethlehem in Judea, Herod was king. During this time, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and said, Where is the child born to be king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard about this, he was worried, and so was everyone else in Jerusalem. Herod brought together the chief priests and the teachers of the law, of Moses and asked them, where will the Messiah be born? They told him, he will be born in Bethlehem, just as the prophet wrote, Bethlehem in the land of Judea. You are very important among the towns of Judea. From your town will come a leader, who will be like a shepherd for my people Israel. Herod secretly called in the wise men and asked them when they had first seen the star. He told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, let me know. I want to go and worship him too. The wise man listened to what the king said and then left. And the star they had seen in the east went on ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. They were thrilled and excited to see the star. When the men went in the house and saw the child with Mary his mother, they knelt down and worshiped him. They took out their gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh and gave them to him. Later they were warned in a dream not to return to Herod
1: And they went back by another road. The majesty of Jesus. Certainly when we think of the word majesty, we often associate it with royalty, don't we? With royalty. And so this morning I want to invite us to spend some moments thinking about Jesus, not so much as baby, but to think about Jesus as king as the royal one, the majesty of Jesus. In fact, many of the carols that we sing speak of Jesus as the newborn king. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And we as God's people can have great confidence that we serve a risen, living, not only saviour, but king. A king who rules and a king who will rule for all eternity. Today we're considering a passage in Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 12 that many of us will be familiar with. It's a story that we would refer to as the story of the wise men or the magi who visited Jesus. And in this story we really see that there is a tale, if you will, or a telling of two kings, King Herod and the newborn king, King Jesus. And there's also two different types of worship. We see the worship that the Magi bring, true worship of a king, of an only king, of the only king who is deserving of worship. And we also see false worship, worship of one's self. So let's begin by contrasting the two kings that we see in Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12. It's really helpful for us, firstly, just to get a little bit of context to understand what was the role of a king in the ancient Near East. The first thing that we need to understand is that in this time a king was part of a monarchy system. So unlike a democratic system that we have here in Australia where we the people vote for and elect our leaders, in a monarchy um, one person has all the power and they inherit that role because of their birth, order and gender. And this one person who had all of this power owned all of the land within their region. Uh, they had final authority over all the people within that land, and those people were were referred to as subjects. Uh, the ancient Near Eastern king in this context also had ultimate possession over all of their subjects' property. So you might own property yourself, but the king actually ultimately owns that. Um, To go and see the king or to stand before the king is ultimately like going to the high court. Uh, The king had the final say in all matters, uh, legal and otherwise. Uh, He was the highest judge in the land. He had a responsibility to protect his people and therefore he was the leader of the army. He was also, part of the role of the king was to implement Infrastructure. So think a little bit like the, the state government, how they might implement different roads and, and buildings to help facilitate the prosperity of the community. Well, that was part of the role of kingship. Uh, the king was also responsible for building and maintaining temples. And the religion that the king adopted would in fact become the religion of the people. This person, this one person who held... Uh, so much power and authority um, often, unfortunately, would become corrupt and use that power and authority for their own good. And and as we see through the Old Testament, particularly the book of Judges, for example, um, corruption and abuse was rife. And this corruption and abuse really heightened the Jewish people's anticipation of a promised Messiah. You see, the the Old Testament Scriptures prophesied about a coming Messiah, the Anointed One. As we spoke last Sunday, there were plenty of people throughout Scripture who were anointed by God to lead and serve His people, but ultimately their hope was resting in the promised Messiah, the Anointed One who would come. And He would come and He would rule them with justice, He would function as an ideal king, and he would, in a sense, fulfill all of the expectations and hopes of an ideal king, not a corrupt or an abusive king, but a king who used all of that power and authority for good. He would be a just and a fair ruler. He would serve and save and deliver his people from their enemies, and under his kingship, Under his leadership, the kingdom would prosper in every respect, physically, economically and spiritually. In today's story, we are introduced to King Herod, who is also known as Herod the Great. He is a historical figure and he has a track record of being someone who was not very well liked, particularly amongst the Jewish people. He was not the rightful king of the Jews to begin with. He had aligned himself with Rome and in doing so had become the king of the Jews. He was a bloodthirsty tyrant. He had a reputation for being a murderous man. He murdered his mother-in-law, his um, brother-in-law. He he murdered three of his own sons, 46 priests, and anybody else who got in the way um, of his desires. Anyone who was a threat to him was put to death. The two things that he's most well known for historically, even outside of the scriptures, is both his bloodthirsty nature, which we will soon see, and the accomplished sort of master builder that he was. Um, He built many great buildings, some of which still remain today, you can see in Israel. Um, he, but he was, and he tried to win the hearts of the Jewish people with his extravagant buildings. One of the things that he did to try and win the hearts or the love or the respect of the Jewish people was to restore the temple, their place of worship. But he was hated by the Jewish people because he was not their rightful king, and he didn't represent what they had hoped for in a king either. He was someone who was incredibly paranoid, And we see in the story today that when King Herod heard this, the news of this newborn king, he was greatly disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. I wonder why all of Jerusalem was disturbed. Well, Julius Caesar has been coined as saying, I would rather be Herod's pig than his son. And people knew that Herod would fly into an outrage and a fit. And the prospect of a newborn king was not a good prospect for Herod, but also for others. At the end of the day, Herod's scorecard is not a good one. He is a dead king with a legacy of death. Let's just reflect a little bit more on this ideal ancient Near Eastern king. Probably the most idyllic image of an ancient Near Eastern king is that picture of a shepherd, a shepherd who would care for and love and take care of his sheep. Um, The role of a shepherd is very much one of existing for the sake of others. A shepherd, people don't become shepherds because they are power hungry. They become shepherds because they have a desire to serve. And a true shepherd... In the most ideal form is one who loves and cares for the sheep. A true shepherd is just and fair. And a true shepherd will provide, protect and prosper the sheep. And it's, this is the image that we need to have in mind of King Jesus. Because it was even prophesied that this promised Messiah would be like a shepherd. In Matthew 2, verse 6, we read, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's a combination of Micah 5, 2 and 2 Samuel 5, 2. You know, Jesus himself, when he grew up and became a man, referred to himself not only as a shepherd or the shepherd, but the Good shepherd, which is very significant because in the Old Testament, in Genesis, God himself, Yahweh, is referred to as the good shepherd. And so in this moment, Jesus is actually referring to himself as being God. And he goes on to explain that a good shepherd is known because he lays down his life for his sheep. He is prepared to give up everything for the sake of those he leads. Jesus is a living king and he has an eternal legacy of life. Jesus laid down his own life as that ultimate king, that shepherd king, so that all who come under his care will have life and life eternal. So we can see the contrast in this passage between King Herod, bloodthirsty, dead, a legacy of death, And King Jesus, a legacy of life, still living and still continuing to lead people to new life as they come under his shepherding care. We have to dig a little bit deeper, but this passage also has a strong theme of worship. And we see the Magi coming to worship Jesus. But when we think about worship, what is worship? And... We noticed in today's passage that the wise men or the magi, they bowed down, and I just love this picture, this image of worship. I think it says so much. Worship is about lowering oneself. Worship is about assuming a posture that says, "I am lower than you, first and foremost." It is a posture that says, you are worthy, and I am not. It is a posture that says, I have nothing to offer or bring. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? And ultimately, that's what worship is. It's bowing down. It's assuming a posture that says, I am nothing. You are worthy. You are worthy to be praised because you are great and you are glorious. And whilst we might not physically bow down, although that would be a great thing for us to do from time to to time, when we come to worship God, we bring a posture of bowing, don't we? We bow our hearts and we say to God, you are great. We are lower than you. We want to exalt you and lift your name high. Worship is also costly. You know, the wise men brought... These gifts, these gifts that were fit for a king, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And it cost them something to give those gifts away. Worship costs us. There's not only a sense of lowering ourselves before God, but there is a price uh, very tangibly, part of that price is that the tithes and offerings that we bring, for example, that 's why it is part of our worship. It is giving back to God what is rightfully His, to sow back into his kingdom. But it will also involve a cost of our time. It will involve a cost of perhaps giving things up. It will involve a cost of time in terms of the way that we choose to serve our king. And worship is also a journey just as the wise men went on a journey of following Jesus in order to worship Him and present Him with their gifts. For us as God's people, worship is a journey that we will take for our whole lives and our worship will change over time. We will go through different phases and different stages of worship. And you know what? It is ultimately a journey towards greater surrender. The more we surrender, the more God is honoured in our praise. It's very easy for us to withdraw and withhold our worship from God or to only bring our worship to God one day a week. God desires for people who will worship him in spirit and in truth on all occasions and in all ways. In fact, we are called to be living sacrifices, which means that we actually lay down all of our lives as worship. worship is a journey. None of us have reached the final destination. What is the final destination of worship? It is seen in our story today. The final destination in worship is the presence of Jesus. And we will continue to worship and lift up God until that day when our journey will reach its end point and we will stand face-to-face to face with our maker and worship him. Won't that be a glorious day? But until that day comes, that is the image that we should bear in mind, that when we come to worship, we are indeed entering the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who is so worthy to be worshipped and to be praised. The wise men offered their gifts. They brought what they had that was fit for a king. What are the gifts that you and I have that are fit for a king? Above all, King Jesus desires our hearts, hearts that are tuned to him, hearts that desire to serve and follow him and lead the kind of life that he instructs us. To lead. God doesn't want false worship. And what we see in Herod is false worship. You know, we as the readers know when we read this text that Herod had a plot. He had different intentions from the words that he used. We read in verse 8, he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child." As soon as you find him, this is Herod speaking to the Magi, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. Now we as the readers know that Herod, who is paranoid and murders anyone who steps in the way of his power, ends up dead, has no real intention of worshipping Jesus, does he? But that's what his words are saying. His lips say one thing but there's something very different very dark and very deceptive and very false that lurks in his heart. And ultimately what we see in what we see of King Herod is that he worshipped himself. There was no higher or greater power than him, and anyone who stood in the way of his authority, of his power, of his kingship was eliminated, was removed because they were a threat. Herod worshipped himself. I guess it begs the question, who or what do we worship? Tim Keller has this quote that says, you don't get to decide to worship. Everyone worships something. The only choice you get is what or perhaps who to worship. We worship that which captivates our heart. And Herod was most captivated with himself. He didn't exist to serve the people in his kingdom. He used his power and his authority to serve and better himself. In great contrast to the other king, the true king, who used his power and authority to lay down his life for those he served. Unfortunately, I think in our 21st century western world that we live in, so much worship is about self. It's about becoming a better me. It's about you know furthering my own career and my own interests. It's you know it's about worshipping my body, it's about worshipping my career. Um all of these things. And there's absolutely dimensions and elements that are good. But so much of society now is very much about worshipping of self, taking care of, number one, ensuring that life is as comfortable as possible for you. It's very much about looking out for ourselves, isn't it? This is the message of the world. You're the most important person in the world and you need to do everything you can to make your life as comfortable and as easy as possible. This is kind of the Herod style of worship. (laughs) It's very, very different to the Jesus style of worship, which is a worship that requires submission and sacrifice. It is costly. Two very different types of worship. And you know the reality of this is none of us are exempt. I am tarnished with the brush of self-worship just as much as each and every person in this room is, because we are fallen, sinful people. And I know in my own self, there is so much selfishness that thinks of Joel first. (laughs) It's in conflict with what God desires for me. And I have to work hard against that. It's a journey, isn't it? to stop worshipping self. And the amount of times I catch myself thinking, all I'm thinking of is myself in this situation rather than others. Worship is a journey of thinking less and less of ourselves and thinking more and more of others to uphold and to model the King of Kings who perfectly laid down his life for us. We too, in a sense, lay down ourselves so that we may lift up Jesus. Worship is very much about the heart. And a good way of knowing what we worship is to frequently check our heart. What is our heart being captivated by? What are we spending a lot of our time thinking about and giving our attention to? Is it God and serving Him and becoming more like Him? Or is it pursuing other interests I know for me, my heart can so easily get caught up with other interests. And they're not bad things oftentimes. But when they begin to occupy us extensively and when we give a lot of our time and energy to other pursuits and other hobbies and other interests that are all about fulfilling and becoming better versions of ourselves, which is, I think there's a really subtle kind of um, message there. This I have a huge desire to become a better version of myself. And I think there's goodness in that, but I also think there's a lie in that. The devil wants to try and, um, f- you know, move each one of us into a corner where it becomes about earning and about good works. And ultimately, when we're worshipping and serving the King of Kings, we recognise that just like that photo of that person bowing down, there is ultimately nothing of worth that I can... Offer. I'm The posture that I need to maintain before God is a posture of brokenness and realisation that I'm sinful and that He's done everything. And whilst I want to try and become the best that I can be, and I think that's a good thing to have, perhaps the way that I go about it is wrong. I need to become more dependent on God and more reliant on His Spirit to do a work. Perhaps becoming a better version of myself is becoming See, in my mind, the better version of myself is the perfect Joel, who looks perfect and does everything perfect and has a perfect life. It's an absolute lie and it's false. Perhaps the better version of Joel is the more broken, humble Joel, who recognizes that there's only one perfect one. (laughs) That's Jesus and my hope is in him and to live a life that points others to him. There you go, there's a little bit of vulnerability. It's a journey for all of us, isn't it? It's a journey for all of us. But the devil wants to feed these lies into our minds, doesn't he? You can do better, you can do better, and then it becomes about us and not about him. You see, true servants of a king are all about the king. It's not about the individual servant. It's about the goodness and the greatness of the king. Have you heard about the king? It's a joy and a delight to live for and to serve him. Herod's worship was false because it was deceptive. And I wonder what deceptions we say. We might say things because it sounds right and it fits the context, but actually there's something quite different going on in our heart. You know, we need our words and our hearts to line up. Our worship can be false if it's deceptive. And this is a journey, as I mentioned earlier, for all of us We all need to be real and honest before God and say, God, please reveal to me the areas in my life that have not come under your lordship. Those things that have become gods for me, that I am worshipping, that are in conflict with you and in conflict with your will and your ways. We can become people who appear to be good and nice Christians. We can come to church, we can sing the songs, we can even read our Bibles, we can tithe, we can do all of these different things... We can say the words. We can appear on the outside to be doing the stuff, if you will. But unless there's actually a deep inner transformation going on with our hearts, we're actually deceiving ourselves. God isn't truly being honoured by a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice requires daily, ongoing kind of laying down of ourselves. What a journey. Boy, I feel convicted right now. How about you? (laughs) You know, we need to just keep asking the question, why? Like, why, God? Why am I worshipping you? What is my motive? We need to ask the question, why, with all of the things that perhaps compete in our lives for first place, those things that win our heart's attention. Why has this thing become so important to me? Am I at danger of worshipping whatever it might be? and to ask that question, who do I really worship? If I worship God, if I worship Jesus, how does my life line up with that? And I don't know about you, but I'm just really feeling convicted this morning that I need to go to God and ask these questions and really wrestle with them and try to find a life that is more integral, that is more congruent. If I say that Jesus is my King and if I'm going to worship Him with my life, How is my life looking like a life of worship? This is a journey that we're all on together. I am, in a sense, speaking up here, but I am sitting very much with you. So this Christmas, we come to the cradle. And yes, Jesus is a newborn babe, but he is a newborn king. A king who would become not only the king of the cradle, but the king of the cross And by doing so, by laying down his life, by becoming that great and good shepherd, he made a way for all people to be made right with God. What an awesome king we serve. May we truly be people who worship the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, not only at Christmas time, but all year round. Amen. Let's just take a moment now just with the quietness of our own hearts just to pause and to ask God to reveal to us perhaps those things that have captivated our hearts that are competing for his rightful place as Lord and God and King and ask him to bring those to mind to bring conviction so that we may repent and turn around Heavenly Father, we collectively now just come before you and humble ourselves before your majestic throne. We say sorry, Lord, for those things that we have crowned in our lives and in our hearts that are in conflict with you, your will and your ways and your desires for us. Help us to find that healthy balance that enables us, Lord, to enjoy the good things that you give us as your kids, but not to allow them to take your place. We repent of those things and we offer them to you, those things that we struggle with, those things that occupy so much of our time and our thoughts and our money, We offer them to you and pray that they could be used for your glory. And Father, may you take us on that journey towards greater congruence of being people who what we say with our lips matches up with our lifestyles and the desires and intentions of our hearts. May we not be a people who worship falsely, May we be a people who worship with integrity and humility. Thank you for this time and thank you for your word, which speaks to us today by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.